0: You are listening to audio recorded at the Village Church. For more information, go to villagechurchbaltimore.com. We're taking a little bit of a hiatus from our normal series to engage in a heart for the world. So we're talking about the big world. In some ways, the world is very big. But in God's providence, I believe we live in a really exciting time right now where he's shrinking things down so it's a small world. And today, we're going to be looking into the Psalms a little bit, looking at this idea of what drives us in these efforts. So I'm just going to jump right into it, and we're going to be looking at Psalm 67 in different portions. But let me start in Psalm 67. And it says, May God be gracious to us and bless us, And make his face to shine upon us. And I'll stop there. And hoping as I read that, some of you got kind of a little deja vu thing. I don't know if that's Christian to say deja vu, but I guess I just said it's Christian. So, but you got this little weird, like, oh, I've I've heard that before. That sounds familiar. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us. If you're feeling, man, that sounds kind of familiar. If, 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 if so, it's because it's adapted from one of our benedictions we do, one of the closing blessings we give at the end of service here at the village. It's adapted from what we call the priestly blessing that's found in the book of Numbers chapter 6. And, and what it says here, and you see on the screen, it's the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. This was a blessing that was given. And I want to affirm um, it's good and it's a good, healthy desire to want to be blessed by God. And that might sound like really obvious to some of us. Why I say that is some of you, and, and I've experienced this when I ask, how can I pray Lord's, the Lord's blessing on you? You get really sheepish or kind of awkward and like, oh, no, no, I'm Okay. Man, there's people out there with real problems. Uh, I don't want to steal anything away from there because God's only got a limited number of blessings, right? That's how, you know, he's, he works. He's very finite and small like us. Um, so, oh, don't, don't pray blessings for me because there's so many people out there who are really in need, who are really struggling. Pray for them. Um, I, I want to suggest you and invite you into this idea that our desire at the village is here is that we want to be a community that's helping every single one of us be so consumed with the glory of God that as we look into the word as we walk together in community as we pray um when we thought God was like this when we thought he was really small we're like whoa I didn't know that's how big he was Wow, he's way bigger than I ever gave him credit for. And, and you start to hear the glory of God, the wonder of his beauty, and, and you, that you, you exist to receive his blessing, that God desires to bless. That in a world that, that is so often like a desert, in a world that honestly tells you, hey, come drink, be full, be, be, be made well, it's like a mirage. And you go, ah, blah, blah, and you're like, oh, I just ate sand, I'm more thirsty. I'm more in pain. That in a world like that, God is like a fresh spring of water that wants to give you and and, and nourish you, quench your thirst. Drink deeply from that. Be satisfied. Learn that true satisfaction can only come honestly when God's grace comes upon us in blessing. That, That we would eagerly desire for God's face to shine upon us. Don't you love that terminology? that God's face—so many people think God is, like, angry. But the blessing that God would look upon us, as the psalmist describes, that we would eagerly desire God's favor, that's a good thing. That's a really good thing. And and so we should be extremely grateful for blessings, and I believe that's what Psalm 67 is doing here. It's most likely a song of praise for a fruitful harvest. Like for an agriculture— an agrarian culture, they they had a fruitful harvest. So they're thanking God through this. So we thank God for his grace. We thank God for favor, for blessings. We thank him for shining his face in us. So, yeah, keep doing that. Keep doing that. But we're never meant to stop there. We should hunger for his blessings, but we're never, ever, ever meant to stop there. Look again at Psalm 67. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us. Yes! But see what follows. Verse 2 that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, God. Let all the peoples praise you. So yes, hunger for blessings. God, give me more. Shine your face upon us. Why? So that this word might go forth into the world, that more might hear of you, that we would get blessed out of our socks. Why? So that we couldn't help but have the world say, have you, have you seen what God did with that people? That small little nation there? Have you seen what God's done? How he's blessed them? Wow! Like, like, that's what drives us to want God's blessings. That blessings might go forth to all the peoples of the world. God always blesses his people so that they will be a blessing to others. Amen? If you won't remember anything today, remember it. God always blesses his people so that they will be a blessing to others. Because Psalm 67, it's rooted in God's promises. This, is, this goes back into their history. This is rooted in, in God's promises to people like Abraham in Genesis 12. And we have that up on the screen. Out of many promises, this is one, one of them in Genesis 12. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. You got to catch this. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Say, Abraham, you're going to get so blessed, man. Your family's going to grow. And I know it's hard to believe how that's going to happen because you got no kids, but it's going to grow. It's going to be like sand. It's going to be like stars that you count. But here's why. So that the whole world will ultimately be blessed through your blessings. From the beginning, God desires to bless his people so that the whole nations of the earth will also be blessed. So the proper way to read something like Psalm 67, it, it's as people living out this covenant, this promise, and praying that reality into their own time. It's saying, God, this is what you've promised. So God, that's how we're going to pray now. God, this is how we're going to pray. If that's what you've promised back in the day, we want to live that out now in our time. And ultimately, we have the blessed hindsight to know that one of Abraham's descendants, Jesus, He is the fulfillment of that promise. And we see that one couple of verses that talk about Galatians chapter three. In verse 13, it says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we, we might receive the promised spirit through faith. This is in just a couple of lines describing the glorious work of what Jesus did. That Jesus came, and though he was perfect, never sinned before. It's hard for us to believe that because we believe he's also fully man, but he was also fully God. Tempted. He had every opportunity to sin, but he never sinned. But yet, he was hung on this thing called a cross. And that's what it says. Cursed is everyone who's hanging on a tree. Jesus became cursed for us so that we wouldn't have to be cursed. But you catch the part there in Verse 14. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles. That Jesus ultimately lived out through his life and through his death, the covenant of promises. He did the work we couldn't do. And now this message would go to the Gentiles. They would be brought together under one family as well. And that that should frame how we read Psalm 67. Let me go again back into the beginning of Psalm 67. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God, and let all the peoples praise you. Catch this. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. So think about what we do even in a small church here like the village. My desire, and I don't know if this is all God or I hope there's some guy. here, my desire is that you would receive so much blessing in your life in every way. You'll be blessed spiritually, of course, but I want you to be blessed financially. And you're thinking, oh, is this one of those kinds of churches? Keep following me. I want you to be blessed financially. I want you to be blessed relationally. I want you to be blessed health-wise. I want you to be blessed in all these different ways. I want you to receive as many blessings that you can in every way possible. But why? So that more might experience the saving power of Christ in this earth. I want you to get blessed out of your socks. I want you hopping out of community group. I want you running out of this place. Whoa, did you know God loves us that much? Whoa, I came in here a total wreck because I just totally did some bad stuff. But you know he still forgives? Whoa, do you know that Jesus died to take my curse so I can come freely to God? Everyone else in the world looks at me and points at me in shame and fear and guilt and say, get on your face, you rotten sinner. And what does Jesus do? He took my sin upon him. He became my curse, and now I'm a child of God. Now I can sing these songs up here. It's not just Christian karaoke, but it's like the outflow of my heart. It's like, I wish I had a much better voice because I want to sing it that much better because it's so powerful. So that more people might hear. Verse three, then, it's a guiding principle. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you if we discover and if we grow in knowing how truly great God is, the natural follow through is we need more people to praise him. If God is that good, we need more people to praise him. If we discover and grow in how great God is, we need more voices to join this great chorus of celebrating his beauty. Because this is about the worship of a great God I mean, I love sitting here in my seat Listening how many people sing him It's great, but I'm like uh, God's a little too big for that I mean, I know there's churches all around doing the same thing But man, God needs like the best ant Like turn it up to 11, you spinal tap ant, Like turn up to 30 He needs like every voice on full tilt Like screaming out praise Just, Because he's God He's a great God And verse 4 then is significant in these thoughts. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon earth. So we got to be clear about God's call for his people. This is his call. This is never meant to stay with us. This is never, ever, ever meant to just stay with us. And I think for some of us, that's got to be convicting because church ultimately is about... Can I go to this place? Can I get a good sermon? Can I feel better about myself? Can I have my sins forgiven? Can I be reminded what I do? And that's good. That's really good. But if it just stops there, we're losing sight of why God does these things. And I'm afraid sometimes we're a church. I think we're developing a good culture where we come and when the other preachers are preaching, you're like, man, I get really fed. And the music here, well, I, I, I'm getting blessed. I'm afraid this just becomes a show when it's never meant to be that. We're supposed to receive blessings but always to send us back out with those blessings. If we are obedient, it is doing everything within our abilities for the entire world to experience the worship of God in gladness and joy. And we're given what that looks like here. We we see, for you judge the peoples, in verse 4, you judge the peoples with equity. And, And some of us, when we automatically go to judge, we hear like, Kind of judge upon bad people You know, oh the judge is looking down upon you And honestly if you go to court You're usually not going to want to hang out with a good judge right? you've usually done something wrong And that's a part of judgment But it's helpful to recognize here the context That in the Old Testament The first duty of a judge Was to protect the innocent That's why you had a judge Because it was an unjust world Where powerful people took advantage of people with less power so in those situations, God placed judges to fight for the well-being of those who had no one else to advocate for them. So in that sense, this is about justice in an unjust world. It's about pointing people to the God who looks at them and everyone else might say they're just a pawn in this whole scheme. And God says, I will judge them. And, and judgment for sin is real, but also giving equity leveling the playing field and that's what it talks about equity here for you judge the peoples with equity because i think one of the biggest challenges even among christians is we've got this like hierarchy and the value of people we we just do and god reminds us here and throughout his scriptures one of the beautiful things about the gospel it levels that plane it reminds us there is no one who is better than others It don't matter how many crowns you got on your head and how many people bow down before you and say you're the king. In God's eyes, we are all equal. That's the beauty of Christ, that when he did get cursed on a tree, when he hung on this thing called a cross, um, he makes us right with God, but he also evens us with one another. And and just as a side note, just for free. Um, There's a lot of debate right now about kind of colorblindness in the gospel, that when we come to Christ it's actually God doesn't see color anymore. So he just sees this like, when he looks at a room like this, it's just all kind of like a gray. We're like all one, right? Because now we've made one in Christ. I don't think that's what the work of Christ is. It's actually um, the marvel of, yeah, look how different we are, yet we are still made one in unity. Isn't that amazing? Look how different we are in in color of our skin, our background. I mean, heck, some of you from California, right? And... and, and, and and how much money we have, how much authority we have. Can you conceive that even with all that difference, the powerful work of Christ allows us to now genuinely say to one another, hey, brother from another mother, hey, sister from another mister, and we're one, even with all of our diversity. That's what equity is. It's saying that there's not someone who's more important or less important. And I think this is an important word for Christians because I think a lot of what drove the missionary movement throughout history, and I'm—this stuff is not black and white, very gray. But a lot of what's driven the missionary movement sometimes from the West and America is almost like a paternalistic looking down upon these savages. Oh, look at these people, so heathen. May we bring the gospel of Jesus Christ so that we can elevate them to our standards. I mean, that's the history of this nation. And, and again, this is complicated because we bring the whole sovereignty of God to say, So we believe God's in control. Yet people have used even a glorious thing like world missions, local missions, in evil ways. Not in true love, but in a kind of a paternalistic, patronizing stance. And what we're reminded here is God doesn't look at any country better than any others. He brings equality here. He looks at everyone the same as needy of his grace, but once they are his, they're fully his. Because it says, guide the nations upon the earth. I've got to say some stuff here. God is not just the God of the West. God is not just the God of America. I love America. Don't misquote me and say this guy hates America. Send him hate mail. I'm tired of hate mail I like to be liked God is the God of America But he's also the God of every other nation on this world Because it's all his The world is all his Because God is not just the God of America Even though hes I would say he's blessed this country He's not just the God of historically Christianized religious peoples The whole world is God's Do not limit God's favor and his work By lines drawn on a map by human beings Do not let the lines drawn by human beings on this thing called a globe and a map dictate how we value God's blessing or who's His. It's all His. We just got permanent marker when we draw those things. I think you're seeing this, right? The rule of God moving throughout the world, this is radically countercultural. And I'm going to go into some stuff here. I don't know if you feel comfortable doing, but it's okay, because I got the mic. Um... (laughs) In a context like ours, in Baltimore especially, I'll, I'll say this, a global perspective can be very offensive to some people. Um, I, I think especially when you are in a context like ours, not, not everyone, but in a city like Baltimore, where people are struggling, real struggling, and not, not like diminishing that at all, um, I think it could almost feel tone deaf to say, let's go serve the world when we got people right here hurting and baltimore we're not joking around i mean there have been studies that said uh, if you're poor in baltimore it's like being poor poor in some of the third world countries of the world so we're not making up stuff here because i know christian missionaries love to say oh america's so wealthy and everyone you're even your poor are like richer well yeah but not really there's some rough areas in our nation here and in our particular city um, I've even had some people get very angry with me when we've made some incentives to or initiatives to serve the globe, particularly raising money, like trying to help feed children in Haiti. We got some really um, boisterous feedback saying, you got hungry people right in this neighborhood. Why would you feed people around the world? That's horrible. So I, I think... Humility leads us to say We need to be mindful of that We should be challenged with that Um, Because I think if we're being honest I think Christians sometimes have that propensity right? Let's go do all this stuff around the world And we don't do anything right in our own backyard I think there's a disconnect there I do But I would also suggest ultimately That's a very small view of God Because God is great He justly deserves the praise Of every single person Who has ever carried breath in their lungs On this earth whether they live in 21211 or in Haiti or Africa or Peru, God deserves the praise of more and more and more because He's just that great. In fact, I'm going to suggest this if we do not engage in the work to make God known in all the world, we are actually being disobedient to His command. And this perspective, it guides our approach. And every church has different ways how they look at global missions. This guides our approach how, as the village, we want to seek to be part of this movement of more worshipers being found throughout the world. And we've got a couple of instances of how we're trying to take steps. And again, we're not a real established large church, but a few partnerships we're trying to establish. One in Haiti, and we've been talking about this for a few years now. We've started, and we sent our first team there last year, and primarily working um, in the city of Pinyon, but this school called Philadelphia School where hundreds of uh, youth are being educated there from the youngest all the way up into high school. And a lot of the partnerships, a lot of the giving that you've got that you've given has helped to to really fund those things and to work with missionaries there. But in, especially in a country like Haiti, and I know if you've read like when helping hurts, you're all about to jump up. At, I, I know all that. We've got to be really careful. How are we doing this in a way to Bring equity inequality. equality. So we are really um, intentional. We just don't want to throw a lot of money there and say, oh, look at all the effect we're having on the globe. Look at how much money we've sent. That's important. But part of this is as we bless the school, Let's be honest, it'd be real easy to pick-pluck one of you guys who got like a degree, master's degree in education, you know how to run a school. Hey, you are way more qualified. Let's get you, put you in pinyon, you run the school. Hey, you'll have that junk going smooth in a year. I guess we could do that. I don't know if that's the best for the community there, though. Instead, what we've done is, through the local pastor there, he's identified, there's this young man who is really gifted. He's not the principal yet. He should be. He should actually replace the principal there. He needs some training. Hey, do we have some people who could possibly invest in him? Because there's a school that he could go to a few hours away, but he'd have to travel there every weekend so he can be trained and then come back. He would need a a small motorcycle. So a few different churches that we partner with, and including your giving, we said, hey, we're going to support him so he can be trained. Rather than us going in there saying, How can we fix this whole job? Let's invest in someone who already knows his community, is probably more invested than any of us will ever be, and let's bless him. And I want to encourage you we have a little video here from him wanting to thank the churches in America. Hopefully, multimedia is always our blessing. Let's see. It was just basically a simple video from a man named Kenne. And he is, yeah, Thomas knows Kenne, And he's going every weekend. He's going there. It's like a couple of hour motorcycle ride. He has to take a different route every weekend because once people find out he's doing this, he could easily get um, held up by people. So he takes a different route. It's not safe. But he's going to be trained so that he can lead these youth in this school. And we're doing that. I mean, we want to send teams. We want to serve. But honestly, we want to get and equip people on the ground as much as we can. And that comes from some of your generosity. We also have a partnership that we just announced last week in Peru. Pastor Roger was here. Again, if you didn't listen to the sermon, I would highly encourage you to do so. But we are um, obviously walking with them support-wise financially. But my hope is that we can send teams to go serve as Pastor Roger and his um, and Grace Life Church plant have planted already a church. And it's made up of all um, people indigenous to Lima and Peru. And just God's doing some amazing stuff. As, as pastor roger described last week some of you are a little skittish about it. Like supernatural miracles going on in healing and restoration so my hope is that yeah we're going to give financially but we also want to as god leads in the future maybe some of you would be led to go as well particularly if you have experience with medical skills doing a lot of medical clinics there and and a lot of other ways to incorporate So we truly live in an amazing time in 2018. I know a lot of folks say, oh man, this country was so much better 50 years ago. Uh, I don't know about that. 50 years ago, I wouldn't be able to sit and eat lunch with some of you at a counter. So I kind of like where we've gone. There's some stuff that's broken. But I love how in, in our world right now, the world has become kind of flat. Some people have written about that. It's so big, but with technology... We can have a missionary from Africa just fly here and share with us. We can have videos. We can Skype in. We can know what's going on. The world has become flatter in some things. It's still big, but it's also become small. I think here's the word for us, though, as a church in America. I think it should also lead us to appropriate humility. I think it's got to lead us to appropriate humility. Again, I think there's this idea out there, and I'm not going to fight against this, but I will challenge a little bit, that America is God's people. I don't know if that's necessarily the case. I, I think America can be God's people, but let's not limit who are also God's people, because if we want to be honest about who's God's people, if you look at trends, as America becomes less and less Christian, the rest of the world is actually growing in Christian faith. And I know we can all dig into it, is it real Christian faith or not? And if we're going by numbers, the rest of the world is actually outpacing growth in the kingdom of God. Um, America used to have this mentality, we're going to be the ones to kind of teach everyone in the world. And I think there was a season for some of that. But you know where the leading thinkers right now in the Christian faith and the kingdom of God are coming from? It's coming from Africa, coming from Asia, coming from Latin America. Those are the translators. Those are the communities seeing, like, amazing stuff happening. And you know what they do? They pray for America. They're like, God help that country. (laughs) Wow, Lord, would you do something in America? We need to send the missionaries to America now. Because they've lost their way. So I think it requires some humility on part of the Western, particularly the American church. So short sidebar. I think that... um, Sometimes when you think about things like short-term missions, there's a lot of debate, and I don't think there's one right answer. But short-term missions, like sending people for like one week to go to a different place, and man, is that right? Man, people are raising so much money, so much time, coming in with this attitude that they're going to do something in seven days, 10, ten days. You know, what can they do? I, I think that actually hurts things more. Couldn't that money go to a better source? Um, I think that's real. I think other criticisms are, man, people raise all this money and they spend all this energy and then they go off and do this thing for a week and they're not doing a single squat thing in in their own neighborhood. They've never like led anyone to Christ and they think they're going to go off halfway around the world and do that. That's ridiculous. And I think all those might be valid criticisms. And again, we've got to honestly think about it. But I think it's a a false equivalency there where we think it's got to be one or the other. I think wisdom and humility is saying, yeah, you know, we need to check ourselves. If we are going into any mission situation, and we've had mission teams come to Baltimore, so we've experienced this on the other end. If we've got anyone going and they're coming in with this superior colonial attitude, we've got all the fix we're gonna be the answers, oh, our one week is doing all this stuff. I don't, I don't know. I, I don't know if that's true. I don't even know if that's helpful. But it's like Pastor Roger talked about last week, and it just echoed my philosophy towards missions even short-term. I think there's a very valid place for it. It's got to be done well. It's got to be done with humility. It's got to be done with respect to those who are already in the ground. But I view it as discipleship. It's discipleship. Because let's be real. There's only so much you're going to do in seven days. And if you equate it per hour how much you're raising, you're like, oh, that's not good math. But if you think about the effect it'll have on your life for the long term, it's God's money. I think it's God's kingdom. And most of the missionaries I've met, and it's not everyone, but most of the missionaries that I've, I've met who've had long-term callings, it's been kindled through things like short-term experiences. It's been God using those small experiences, maybe not doing so much on the ground there, but doing something in them to kindle a larger heart for the globe, whether in giving or serving or praying or sometimes even going. So I think there's room for it. But it's got to be to go to serve, yeah? But also go in a humble posture of learning from God and from people who are all in these different places. So I think we might go, but I think God also gives us ways for us to be tied globally. Let's look back at Psalm 67 and and jump to verse 6 with me. It says, The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. So sometimes when we talk about serving other people or giving to others, we think about sacrifice. And I think that's appropriate. There should be sacrificial giving involved. Um, Sometimes we talk about, I'm going to love some other people at my sacrifice, at my expense, so that they might gain. And I think that's real. That's the way of Christ. Through his sacrifice, we're blessed. So that's real. But I don't know if that's what it's talking about here in this passage i, I don 't this I think this is acknowledging that God is blessed they are blessed and they're asking Him to continue to bless as they have His glory in mind. God give us even more, continue to favor us, continue to bless us because we have you in our sights and your fame and your renown so what 's that mean for us here in America? Maybe our roles have changed maybe we 're not going to be the colonial saviors of the whole world. And we're going to go off and we're going to fulfill the Great Commission. Maybe people are going to be sent to America. Maybe things are going to change a little bit. Um, But I think one thing we still have in the West, we have wealth. We might not have the most mature Christians in the world. We might not have the godliest people in the world. We have to learn a lot. But one thing we do have, I'm not talking individually, corporately, we have wealth compared to the larger world. And I think we get nervous when we talk about money in the church because we've got a lot of shady people who if you're a, you can't sleep and you're up three in the morning, you're watching TV, they say, you know, you're going through a hard time. Sow a seed with us and you'll get a hundred times back. You want a new car? Give some money to our ministry and God will bless you with a new car. Your house is falling apart. Give money to us and God will redeem it and sow some more. Um, that's shady But I think because of that, let's not throw the baby out with the bathwater. I think there's biblical principle that when we give generously and we're giving towards God's kingdom, that God will continue to bless you. Not for you to get fat and happy, but he'll give you more as you give out more. He'll give you more as you give out more. So my perspective, I want you to have as much as you can so you have more to share. I don't know if you've ever heard this from the pulpit before. I want you to work hard, make even more money. Make even more money so that you have more money to give towards missionaries, both here in Baltimore but throughout the world. I shared this before. One missionary on a trip I went to among Navajo Native Americans in New Mexico, he was doing a call. He was inviting people to become missionaries. And I love those things, right? I'm like ready. And he gives this call saying, okay, some of you right now are being called to serve God full-time in missions, but some of you are not. I'm like, "What? What?" He's like, "Some of you've been gifted with the opportunity to make money, so go make a lot of money and give more generously. Give even more lavishly. Have God check your heart and stop hoarding more for yourself, but be blessed with the opportunities God gives you and give even more." because we've got this twisted idea in America that I get a good job so I can have more for myself. No, if we're under the kingdom of God, we have good jobs. We have good opportunities. We do more so that we have more to go towards God's kingdom. So work hard, get a good job, save, go to Ramsey, do all these different classes, but so that you can have more to ultimately share for the kingdom of God. And that's why I'll I pull back the curtain. We don't do financial, uh, I hope I'm not contradicting anyone here. We don't ultimately do financial peace classes so you can get a better handle on your finances. That's not ultimately the driving thing. The reason why I want us to do things like at this church, I want you to get a better handle on your finances so you can be even more free and be even more generous. Because the thing that's holding so many of us back, is we have horrible debt. We don't know how to manage our money. And because of that, we're not able to give generously as God might want us to. So go to these financial peace classes. Get a budget. Get a savings plan. Do all these things so that you can have even more from God, so that you can even give more. So um, you can take this as a word from God or just my ranting. I'm going to say some of you should go to a Bethany session afterwards. You should pray about supporting that. Give generously to this church, but we never stop there find other ways and that's why we're continually putting people and missions in front of you that I want you to be generous with because maybe some of you don't feel called or you're not at the life place where you can go and do that but maybe you got a job give towards these missions opportunities um, I'll say this and I hope I'm not upsetting uh, Beth and this is I, I'm gonna say don't just go there because you're interested in her and her missions and her kids were incredibly cute Um. This is a holistic discipleship. I I think you should go, even if you don't know if you care about them. But you need your heart exposed to what God is doing around the world. Even if you don't think that's your particular interest, go. Let the Spirit open up your heart, free you from this American kind of self-focused thing, where even the gospel becomes a means for us to get more comfortable in our own life. He wants to give us wealth. He wants to give us blessings. Don't just cut me off there on the recording and say I'm a heretic, right? He wants to give us those things to send us back out so we can even be more generous cuz it's his already. So let me ask you to stand with me as we as we respond to the Lord in this time. Ultimately, we're not generous because we're generous people. Ultimately, we are generous because God has been generous with us. That when we were far from him, when we were sinners, when we were broken, The God-man, Jesus Christ, became our curse on a tree, on the cross. And he paid a great price so that we could be made right with God. And that's what we do with the table here. And I invite you to come, receive the Lord's Supper, take a piece of the bread. Remember the broken body of Jesus paid at such a great cost. Dip it right there in the cup. You can come up both aisles. Dip it right in the cup. Remember his blood that was shed and poured out so that we could be forgiven. And let that drive now our generosity to his world. And remember, ultimately, you need to have your thinking hardwired that ultimately the goal of all this is not to just give us a better life. God wants to bless you. God wants to bless you more than you think he wants to bless you. But it's so that he can bless the whole world through you. It's always been his way. So come receive communion. Come pray. If you want to receive a specific prayer, we'll have a prayer team off to my left here in the front. They'll pray with you. Maybe some of you are being challenged. Maybe God is calling you to to go. Maybe you've been hearing Bethany's story and you're thinking, yeah, she seems really spiritual, but not that much more than me. Maybe God is calling you to and reminding you when you're trying to suppress that. Maybe God is challenging some of you, how can I be using my finances better? Because God has blessed me. Maybe God's challenging some of us, man, I need to get my finances in order because this is a stewardship issue for God's glory. Whatever it is for you, Maybe for some of us, it's just a hard, hard issue. You care too much about your own zip code, but God's called us to care about the whole world. So let me pray. Lord, help us. God, forgive us in America sometimes. Lord, we thank you for your blessings upon this nation, and we stand upon a great heritage of faithful men and women. But Lord, sometimes we confess we can get away from why you've blessed us. It's never been about an American dream. It's never been about God helping us achieve our life dream. It's about God blessing us lavishly so that we can pour out even more. Bring us back to that, Lord. Bring us back to that. We pray for Haiti. We pray for Peru. Pray for Zambia. We pray for Colvin family. We pray for those who have gone and are serving you there. But Lord, may they know they do not go alone. Forgive us, Lord, as an American church. We have become too much of a navel-gazing church. And remind us, Lord, why you've blessed us so much for the nations so that more people might praise you. So, Lord, for your own glory, for your own namesake, raise up, Lord, your church. That more people might praise you, Lord. More people might give you glory, Lord. All around this earth, God, more image bearers would come to know their full glory of being known as a son or daughter of the living God. So right now, Lord, we pray for the missionaries we're with, but Lord, we pray for every missionary around this world and right here in Baltimore as well. Help us, Lord, to have an attitude outside of ourself for your great namesake. So Lord, bring us back to the cross. Remind us the great cost you paid so that we could have a heart for this world. We love you, Lord. We love you. So I invite you to pray, receive the communion. Uh, again, you can come receive prayer from our prayer team or you can pray with the people you're with. But give some space for the Holy Spirit to convict your heart, encourage you, remind you, and be known that that you're loved.